welcome to the Johannesburg Church of Christ podcast. In these podcasts, we seek to know Christ and to make him known to all nations and people. May this week's message transform your thinking in the likeness of Christ as you get to know him more. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Remo Tlale, and I have the privilege and honor of bringing us our sermon this morning. The sermon is titled, Good News. You know, I know everyone could use a little bit of good news, right? Whether you're having a very good day and someone comes and lifts up your spirit even more with some good news, or you're having a bad day and, you know, you're kind of in the mud and someone comes with a little bit of good news. It's so helpful hearing good news. And let's be honest, hasn't 2020 felt like a really long, bad day. I mean, we remember the beginning of 2020 in January. We all had our planners, our diaries. We were setting goals. We were telling each other what we were going to achieve this year. In fact, 2020 was titled the year of plenty, wasn't it? And it seemed by already by March, we were beginning to throw out the diaries. By the end of March, we were in lockdown. April came and May came, and it all became a blur and just this hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. Some have, some have even said, man, it's Plenty challenges. And so we've seen a lot of bad news, right? COVID-19, this global pandemic that's taking people's lives and loved ones even in and amongst us. We've seen economic instability, people losing their jobs or taking pay cuts or forced leave, which has been such a challenge. We've seen gender-based violence here in South Africa hit all-time new numbers and even across the globe. We've seen Racial injustice and pure racism just go rampant across the globe as well. And it just seems like it's bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. Yet this morning, church, I believe that we have good news. And I want to share that with you this morning. And so to begin us sharing this, I'd like to show a video right now. Death happens to every single one of us in some way, shape or form, from young to old We all experience it. We all notice it. We all know it's real and we all know to some extent it is inevitable. So what do we leave behind? What kind of inheritance do we leave for the people who are left? I believe that inheritance should be the gospel. It is probably not what you thought when you thought about inheritance, but it's probably the greatest heritage that we can leave to those coming after us. It's the gospel. This idea of the good news that Jesus is king and he reigns right now seated on the throne. That he has conquered both sin as well as death. And we don't have to live the way that we are used to living any longer. We can be different. That's what is a great inheritance. And this great inheritance can be given not only through the generations but it can be given to every nation because it has ramifications for this life and for the life to come in spaces and shapes and forms that we don't fully understand, but we can grasp that Jesus being king is good news. You see, he's a conquering king, victorious in his methods, though doing it in a way that we might not perceive as being the way that it ought to be done. But it affects every generation, whether baby boomer, gen X, gen Z, millennial, or gen alpha, it affects us all. And it affects every tribe and tongue and nation, whether from Mozambique or Angola or 
down the coast to South Africa and up again to Namibia or somewhere in between, it affects us all. You see, he was and is and will always be the greatest man to have ever lived and the inheritance he left us is the good news about the kingdom of God. And we can simply inherit it by repenting and turning to him. And once we've been able to do that, then we too are commissioned to be ambassadors, to carry on this conversation and take it from our little corners of the world to every nook and crevice. So I ask you today, what is the greatest inheritance we can leave behind? It is a gospel that is truly for every generation in the church, as well as every tongue and tribe and nation on this continent. Wow. <laughs> what an incredible video, right? And I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, but I'm saying that because that's what we want to talk about today. I'm saying that because it really is good news. And I'm hoping that as we discuss this together, you will too see that this truly is some good news for us. And so if we can turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be reading here in verse 36, and we're going to begin the reading in the middle of Peter's sermon, ultimately at the beginning of his conclusion. But we're going to hear what he has to say to us about this good news. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, the Bible reads, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pause there. And this is the good news, that God has made Jesus, whom you and I crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Okay, now I'm going to unpack this a little bit because you might ask, how did we crucify him? And in fact, some of these people would have asked the same question. Because they weren't necessarily there when Jesus was put on the cross, but it is our actions that put him on the cross. You see, we unfortunately are sinful by nature, aren't we? We're selfish, we're prideful, we're people who think way too highly of themselves, we're people who put other people down and we're people who lose our temper in fits of rage. We're maybe people who abuse things and go too far, like alcohol or substances, or maybe even Netflix or Instagram. We're people who are imperfect. We fall short of our original design. That's, that's what put Jesus on the cross. You see, he had to go and die. He had to go up there for us to have an atoning sacrifice so that we can be saved back to who we were really meant to be. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, when God created mankind, he created us in his image, an image bearer, people who would look and work and think like him here on earth. And unfortunately, as many of us know, we were perverted. Who we were was broken down, and I'll talk a little bit about this in the next um, point here. But really, this idea of the people, we are continually having these sins that are ruling our lives. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I can re definitely relate because I know I can. See, on my own, I've tried to be a better person. I've tried to do better, but it didn't actually work. And yet what Peter says here, he says, for you and for me, that God has made this Jesus, whom our sin put on the cross, both Lord and Messiah. 
What are those two things? Well, Lord is this idea of king. He's put him in the position of power. He's put him as the ruling authority for our lives. You see, what repentance is, it's going away from us being the ruling authority of our lives and allowing Christ, God in the flesh, to be ruling authority of our lives. The man who lived as the perfect image of God. You see, bearing his image the way that God had originally intended, he lived here on earth. And what we get to do, is we get to submit to that rule and to that reign and become his people. See, that's what the idea of Jesus being made Lord is. And then the other idea is that Jesus is made Messiah, or some versions would say Christ. And this is the idea of Savior. You see, he's not only just our conquering king, but he's also the lamb slain for our sins. So that we can be saved from ourselves ultimately and saved to him, into his being, where he forgives our sins. It, 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 he blots them out. You know, and some of the Psalms talk about how he separates them as far as east is from west. That's what we get saved from. And, and then we come into him and we get the Holy Spirit, this indwelling part of God, right? The triune God, we, we submit to the rule and reign of the king in Jesus and we are indwelt with his spirit. And we get to be part of him. Isn't that good news? I mean, I know it is for me. And many years ago, I accepted it as good news. And I did as Peter told the men and women who asked him, what shall we do? I repented and I was baptized. So I'm asking you today, do you see some things that are faulty in your character? Do you see some areas in your life where you feel like, man, I've got to do better? Do you see some places where you realize I'm not bearing the image of the all good God? And if you do, let me ask you, are you willing to repent? See, because God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, regardless of our response. The good news, though, is that you and I get to interact with that and we can be saved from ourselves. And maybe you were baptized many moons ago, but you're remembering now over the last two, three, four weeks and you're realizing, man, I still have sins that creep up. Well, the good news does not stop all those years ago. The good news is true today. You can repent again. You can dig deep in your relationship with God. You can go further in your relationship with God. And this is the good news. But you see, the good news doesn't stop there. If you read with me here in verse 39, Peter goes on to say, The promise of this salvation is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this generation, this corrupt generation, excuse me. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the good news. Not only are we saved from ourselves, this person that we are, that we know we, don't, we ought not to be, this broken version of ourselves to this Messiah, but we're saved in the generations. You see, he says this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off and who the Lord our God will call. You see, that's where the promise lies. The promise lies that we can save ourselves from this corrupt generation. You see, what I've realized is that every generation has some of its own issues, doesn't they? I mean, you, you think back to maybe the baby boomers and their, their generation was coming out of a very hard time. And so what did they do? They boomed, lots of babies were had. And so they came, grew these big families. And there were things that came inherent with that. So you think about my generation, millennials, a little bit better. And these guys are the guys when we were just coddled and loved and praised for everything that we did. So we have an independence about ourselves. We have a great deal of pride in ourselves. We think we're so much better than other people. This is true. If you're a millennial, you can agree with this. Maybe you're a teenager watching this. You think, well, what's wrong with my, with my generation? 
generation. Well, some of the things that happen in your generation mean there's no actual one truth, right? There's multiple truths and you, you can't even bring up that I believe X, Y, or Z because it seems to encroach on someone else's truth. It's a post-modern era is what they call it. So every generation that we find ourselves in, we find that every generation is corrupt, isn't it? It's got its issues, its problems, its, its downfalls, its sin ultimately. And what Peter is saying here in the word of God, he's saying that this promise of salvation, this promise of being able to repent from our sins, let Jesus be Lord and Savior of our lives and be baptized into him, that promise is true not only those years ago when he said it, but it's as true today as it was back then. I mean, I feel like saying amen and I'm just standing here in front of a tripod. But this is awesome. This is good news. And so I ask you today, are you looking around and thinking, what is wrong with the world? Because I know I am. When I look at the state of our societies, both here in South Africa, across Southern Africa, and then as a global community, man, we are so far from what I believe God designed us to be. We are so far from being the the image of God, those image-bearing beings that God had created all those years ago in the Garden of Eden. And so what's happening here is that we can be saved from this corrupt generation. You see, the challenge is that you and I want to fit in with this generation, right? In, in the old days, they used to say trying to keep up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Shabalalas, right? Well, it's about the people alongside us. You know, now in our generations, it's what's trending on Instagram or Twitter or now TikTok, right? That's the stuff that we're worried about, and we want to fit in. And what the Bible is calling us to do is to say, get plucked out of that. Be saved from that. Because each generation is corrupt, and the promise is true, not just for our parents, not just for our grandparents, but it's true for us, and it's true for those even younger than us. And so I want to ask you, do you need to be saved from your corrupt generation? Is your generation one where you feel like, man, I need to get out of this because this is just not good? If that's the case, then Jesus is the way. That's the good news, that you can come out of this. Will it be easy? I don't think so. Will it be pretty? Probably not. But you can be saved, not only from yourself, but from the corrupt generation around you. Now have a look at this in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. We're going to take it back here. This is my final point. But we're going to see where does this sermon originate. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 1. The Bible says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest one each of, on each of them. Excuse me. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up 
with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. See, that's the context in which he begins the sermon, where he begins expressing the good news to these people gathered around them. The context is there are Jews, God-fearing Jews from all nations. So this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to save us from the division that's within all nations. He's trying to save us from the, the division and the sin from each generation, but then he's also trying to save us from ourselves. You see, these are all compacted and brought together in this idea that when Peter is addressing the crowd about this Jesus who is now the Messiah, he is not talking from a potential, maybe somewhat point of view of all nations. He is literally addressing all nations in the tongue that they understood. How incredible is that? That that's what God wanted. You see, if we go back to Genesis, Genesis, there's a story about the Tower of Babel. We're not going to read there, but basically God separates everybody into different tongues and what have you because of the, the stuff that they were doing. And I'm not going to get into too much of the context, but the idea, though, is that you see now, here in, in Acts chapter 2 and beyond to today, in our day, day and time, God is trying to now bring back all of those nations. Bring them back to one another. Maybe they won't understand each other in terms of language all the time, but what they will understand is the standard at which an image bearer, someone who is supposed to proclaim the goodness of God on earth, would live. And isn't that true for most of us? You know, I remember for me, I had the privilege of traveling around the globe and visiting different churches. Uh, but there is just some things that we all know, right? We, we all know the side hug. You know, most churches that you go to, as soon as they find out that, hey, this is someone that, that we, you know, we're connected to through Christ, it, it's, it's a side hug. It's just how we show one another love, right? Um, another thing that we often see is, is people commenting in sermons, isn't it? Like, amen, like, come on, bro. You know, that's it's just kind of what we do. And I, I don't know what it's, how it sounds in maybe Shona or what it sounds like maybe in Portuguese, but it's true for all nations. You know, it's also true that in all nations, we want to raise up young men and women who will love God. We want to have children who are respectful to their parents. We want to have parents who do not exasperate their children. We, it's true in all nations. We want to find love, isn't it? It doesn't matter what country you're from. You want to be loved and you want to love people. We all want to have fun. You know, most nations, we can all agree on food, right? It's, in some way, shape, or form, it's, it's one of those things that unifies us. Now, we might not exactly eat the same food or, or, or the same flavors, or maybe if you're like me, I'm a big meat eater, and maybe someone else isn't. But, but food brings us together. See, because the goal of God was not to have separate groups of people, but rather to have a church that is made up of all nations. And so when he begins... Here in Acts chapter 2, bringing down this tongues of fire, the vision is already there. That you and I can be saved from ourselves and all the sins and the shortfalls of our lives. We can be saved from the corruptness of our generations, regardless of our age. And that we can save all nations with this good news. So I want to ask you this morning to consider yourself, to consider your story. And how can you be involved with saving people? from this corrupt generation, as well as saving all nations. Because maybe you know someone who needs to hear this message. Maybe that you are the person who needs to hear this message, and you need to respond by sending an SMS to the WhatsApp line that we'll show on the screen later. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that God has made this Jesus, whom we crucified with our sin, both Lord and Messiah. And he is able 
to save you. He's able to save me. He's able to save us from this corrupt generation. And he's able to save all nations. Amen.